Hello and welcome to our latest Regulation Tomorrow Plus podcast. My name is Anita Edwards and I'm a Senior Knowledge Lawyer in the Financial Services team here at Norton Rose Fulbright in London. Today I'm joined by Jonathan Herbst, a partner and global head of our Financial Services Group, and Hannah Meakin, also a partner in our Financial Services Group. And they're going to discuss HM Treasury's final proposals for the future financial services regulatory regime for crypto assets in the UK, which were published on the 30th of October in the form of two responses to consultations and a policy paper. So Jonathan and Hannah, over to you. Thank you, Anita. Right. Hi, everybody. Um, so very exciting. We've had the feedback and the other paper. Hannah, can you just sort of give us some colour around the background to the Treasury's proposals, which came out on the 30th of October? Uh, yes, of course. So um, government has been working with the regulators, the Bank of England and the FCA, um, for some years now to develop the UK's approach to crypto. Um, and some of the approach has already been result has you know, has already resulted in the introduction of law and regulation in certain areas. So, for example, we have our money laundering registration regime. We have just had the extension of the of the financial promotion regime to crypto assets. And we've got a number of other initiatives underway in the form of things like the um, FMI sandboxes. Um, but there's a key part which we don't yet have, which is regulation in the form of requirements for authorization of crypto businesses. And so the government confirmed in 2022 that it plans to bring fiat-backed stablecoins into the regulatory perimeter. And the Financial Services and Markets Act 2023, which was passed in July, allows HM Treasury to do that. Um, and so that work is the legislation, legislative uh, framework is there, but the um, execution of that work now needs to take place. And that's what we refer to as phase one. Uh, but meanwhile, um, earlier in 2023, HM Treasury also launched a consultation that set out proposals on the regulation of crypto assets more widely. Um, and that's known as phase two. And it's the response to this uh, phase two consultation that I think is probably the most interesting of the papers I just mentioned that have just recently been published. Well, thanks, Hannah. So obviously the big question is, what's the difference between the original proposals and what they have now published? Do you want to sort of give us an intro to that? Yes. I mean, by, by way of reminder, the key proposal was for the UK to extend its existing regulatory framework to include crypto assets. So, in other words, to extend the scope of the regulated activities order, which determines which activities, if you do them in relation to which types of assets, need to be regulated. So, when is it that you actually need to be authorised in the UK? Um, and this was, uh, I guess, contrary to some other possible ideas that were out there. Um, one of the suggestions was that retail trading uh, and investment activity should be regulated as gambling rather than a financial service. Um, that has been rejected. Um, and there is also the, the approach that the UK is taking is also quite different to the European approach, which has been to develop a standalone piece of legislation for crypto assets in the form of Mika. Um, but the the response to this paper really does confirm that the, um, the proposed UK plan remains in place. Um, so Treasury has explained that most aspects of its proposals seem to be well received by the large majority of respondents, um, but there were a lot of um, there was a lot of constructive feedback and suggestions for improvements, which HM Treasury has taken on board, um, and both HM Treasury and the FCA will continue to build some of that feedback into their 
um, further development of the regime. Um, so in terms of uh, changes, I, I actually think it's it's probably more clarification um, of particular aspects than changes. Um, but maybe one to pick out, which is, which is obviously quite important, is the scope of which crypto assets um, we're talking about. Um, so one of the things that's been clarified is that any crypto assets that were already uh, treated as securities, um, so for example, security tokens, uh, will continue to be treated in that way. Um, but it's also interestingly said that the intention is that crypto assets that are not being used within financial markets or as akin to financial instruments are, shouldn't be captured. The intention is not to capture them uh, through this extended regime. And in particular, it has mentioned um, non non-fungible tokens um, and that it doesn't intend to capture activities that relate to truly unique or um, non-fungible NFTs, where they're more akin to digital collectibles or artwork than they are to financial services. So I think it's um, really helpful to have those kind of clarifications around the intended scope. Um, but I dare say there'll still be many cases where it's not quite as clear as that when you actually look at the, the legislation. Um, although we don't actually have the draft legislation yet, so that remains to be seen. I think it's really interesting that point, Hannah. The, uh, we, we know from experience in the banking world with lending, that's been a great debate over the years about when, when does a loan become a tradable loan. I think we're going to have the same debate here about when does crypto asset of that type become a financial instrument. So it, it's useful, as you say, that they've clarified it. I don't think on the use cases it's necessarily going to be easy on occasion to work out the answer, but, but nevertheless, the direction of travel is helpful. So on that theme, do you want to just quickly talk through which activities are going to be in scope and importantly, which they have not decided to bring within scope for the moment? Yeah, absolutely. So. Um... So going back to our kind of phase one, phase two, and then actually potential other phases in the future. Um, phase one is really looking at uh, the uh, issuance and custody of fiat-backed stable coins. So that's what um, is, is intended to be regulated under phase one. Then we've got uh, phase two, which is really uh, activities that relate to other crypto assets, including other types of stable coin that essentially have a reasonable parallel to an, a regulated activity in the traditional uh, financial services world. Um, so you can kind of categorize these as um, issuance type activities, operating an exchange, intermediary services like dealing as principal or agent and arranging, um, operating a lending platform for crypto assets and uh, custody of crypto assets. Um, so all of those um, all of those activities in relation to the types of crypto assets that will be in scope are will form part of phase two. And then, as you say, importantly, um, there are still other activities out there that are still uh, essentially under consideration um, or that industry and government have been discussing. Um, one of those is investment advice and portfolio management. So that remains under review, but it doesn't look like that's going to come into phase two at the moment. Um, the HM Treasury has also confirmed that they don't intend to regulate mining at this stage. Um, and there hasn't been any further discussion of post-trade activities like clearing and settlement, although work does continue in, in that area under the FMI sandbox initiative. 
Um, but the thing that I think is perhaps most interesting is the discussion around staking, um, because there was a lot of um, uh, discussion around that in response to the consultation. And as a result of that, HM Treasury is accelerating its further thinking on staking. Um, it recognises that there are different models of staking and different players, and it has confirmed that it doesn't intend to ban the activity. But there are risks involved in some ways of doing it that need to be addressed. And um, it may be that the uh, routes available in the discussion so far, or in an existing regulation and in the proposals so far, might not be the most effective way to do that. So um, there could still be some further adjustments to the regulated activities or even a new one um, in relation to staking specifically. Yes, it's really interesting, that question. And, you know, we'll, we'll see, as you say, quite where they go on that. So wanted to turn in a minute to one of the key issues, which is territorial scope. But before doing that, do you want to just say something about the timeline on all of this in the two phases? Yes, um, I mean, I would say that um, HM Treasury isn't giving much away on uh, timing, um, which is, um, I, I guess, ideally, it would have been good to have a bit more of a, a kind of clearer plan in terms of what exactly is going to happen when. Um, but what they have said is that for phase one, they intend to bring forward the secondary legislation as soon as possible and by early 2024. And then for phase two, the aim is to have the secondary legislation laid in 2024. But both of these are subject to parliamentary time and, and obviously that makes things a bit unpredictable. Um, but I think what we can say is that you know, clearly clearly we need to see that, that, that legislation, that second level legislation, but there is still a lot of actual uh, practical work that needs to be done, largely by the regulators, in terms of developing the rules that will apply to these, these new regulated activities and designing a process under which those who need to become authorised can actually do so. And I guess ideally some of that work would be done in parallel to the legislative process. And we know that the regulators have already put a huge amount of time and effort into um, working out how this new regime will operate in practice. Um, and I'm so pretty confident that they will continue to do that. Um, and so hopefully things can uh, progress as rapidly as, as possible. Um, but I think, it, 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 unfortunately, we don't have kind of actual goalposts right now. And I think that's a really interesting point you make, Hannah, because this is a great example of the sort of new world we're in where the FCA has a great deal of delegated power to design this regime. And it's interesting just to take one example. Treasury were lobbied very hard on the kind of professionals versus retail distinction in various places in the feedback. They say, yes, that point will be built into the regime. There will be proportionality. The devil's going to be in the detail as to what the FCA actually proposes. So I think I think effectively what you're saying is, you know, the next 12 months or so will be filling in the gaps of which there's going to be a great deal of work. And then we'll kind of see when actual implementation takes place, but presumably fairly shortly after that. And, and importantly, they're not talking about a substantial transitional regime, although there are one or two references to avoiding a cliff edge. So I think it's, it's interesting to see how that's going to play out. So one of the other big issues, of course, is territorial scope and the fact that uh, they continue to have the view there will be no overseas person exclusion. Do you want to just talk us through that and then we can explore that a bit? Yes, um, so I, I, I agree that this is kind of one of the um, big questions um, and in the paper that, that I think still 
I think HM Treasury have tried to answer it, but it still remains a little unclear as to what it really means in practice. The um, So territorial scope, in theory, remains unchanged from the original proposal, which was that if you're providing one of these new regulated crypto asset services, either in the UK or somewhere else, but to persons in the UK, then you would be within scope of the of the UK regime. Um, and as you say, Jonathan, the HM Treasury seem to be adamant that the overseas person exclusion should not be extended to uh, include these these new reg- the, the extended regulated activities in relation to crypto assets. Um, but it does recognise that it may be appropriate to work towards some form of deference or equivalence type arrangements, uh, whereby if you are subject to regulation in a juris- in another jurisdiction, um, which I guess the UK has in some way considered to be equivalent to the UK standards, um, then I think the idea is that you you wouldn't need to be regulated or to the same extent in the UK as well. But there's always there's also a recognition that it we don't have any of these arrangements equivalence arrangements yet, and it would take time to put them in place. And so there's a suggestion that it might be possible to, uh, at least in relation to exchanges, to facilitate access to global liquidity pools operated in other countries where they meet international stand, uh, recommendations and standards for a limited kind of period of time until we have those, those other uh, arrangements in place. Um, and there's also a discussion about the possibility of overseas exchanges being able to have a branch in the UK and have that branch authorised. Um, without needing to set up a, a separate uh, entity in the UK, but it, it does acknowledge that this is really this part of it, the kind of the lo- location requirement, is really for the FCA to determine. So I think there's quite a lot of um, further thinking and clarification that's going to be needed in this uh, on this question of territoriality. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think it's really interesting the comments in Chapter Four on branch authorization concept uh, the way i read it and i agree with you Hannah, is they have rejected all the very strong lobbying of the ope uh, you know interested to see what they do on other instrument types but let's leave that aside for these purposes on this i think the essentially where we appear to be headed is some form of oversight partial regulation or whatever if people want access to the uk market and as you say an interim form of non-recognition recognition recognition in in lieu of the reality that there isn't equivalence at the moment so i think it's a fascinating example of where things are going more generally but i mean it's going to be absolutely critical for this for this context anyway um just moving on to just one or two other things uh so are there other headline points you think we should flag i can think of a few but you go first um yeah i mean the one that i would mention is market abuse because the um there was a, a a fairly i think ambitious um uh, intention to introduce a market abuse regime in relation to crypto assets albeit one that was quite honest because even in the consultation paper um it was hm treasury made clear that while they would want to uh, start with a model that is um essentially based on the, the existing market abuse regime for traditional financial instruments it, it the nature of crypto assets means that it wouldn't certainly wouldn't be as simple as just kind of replicating that model and achieving the exact same outcomes in relation to crypto assets. Um, 
but one of the particular challenges I think is in relation to surveillance and there was again quite a lot of um, uh, responses from industry um, on on this particular point and a suggestion on the point in particular that uh, trading venues could be required to share information that would enable them to better identify abusive practices and and therefore deal with the perpetrators. Um, but a number of uh, issues were flagged in relation to this, especially that if this was the model from the outset, um, as opposed to potentially the end result after a kind of few phases um, in the process of getting there, um, it could be it, it, that there would potentially be quite a number of complications. And so given the complexity uh, of the task, I think um, HM Treasury hasn't ruled out a form of phasing in, albeit that they've said that any kind of lighter touch requirements um, that they might start off with would be time limited. But I think the the really interesting uh, point here is that they've supported the idea that was put forward of having a, an industry body um, that essentially acts as a centralised body to help coordinate this information sharing effort. Um, and they've proposed that industry and the regulators should work together to um, try and get that idea off the ground. Yeah, I totally agree, Hannah. And, and the other area I'd pick out is uh, the whole area of information uh, disclosure. Uh, I mean, they are going to follow through on their proposals for a full information regime based on the prospectus regime. Quite a lot of detail in Chapter 5 on all of that. Um, again, the detail will, will be to follow, particularly on the distinction between wholesale versus retail offerings quite the type of information. They do acknowledge some carve-outs, for example, tokens earned by reward mechanisms. They would not necessarily need that kind of disclosure. But I think the broad point here is it will be a full disclosure regime and people need to be aware of that. Again, all the detail to follow. Uh, the only other interesting thing on that the, account also, oh, go on, Anna. Well, I was just going to say just, just on that point around the um, exchanges and issuance, uh, there's also a, a kind of interesting discussion about the distinction between primary markets and secondary yes. markets and the almost kind of also seem possibly drawing a distinction between when would you need to be uh, authorized to operate a trading venue uh, versus when would you actually just be acting as an intermediary which I think it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in relation to our existing understanding of when is somebody operating a multilateral trading facility. Yeah, totally. And I think the other one, just to pick out briefly, is the uh, discussion on liability, where they are trying to draw a distinction between situations where uh, an exchange operator or other provider will or won't be liable, depending on the exact circumstances. So I think that's going to be absolutely critical, but obviously ties into insurance and indemnities and all those other areas. So I, I think the basic message there is there's a lot in this paper, a great deal to follow. So on that theme, perhaps you just want to talk through, you know, what comes next and in particular, what firms should be doing now or beginning to prepare for? Yes, well, I mean, that is a, a good question. Um, I think the first thing is for everyone to kind of get to grips with everything in the paper because there is, or in, in the papers uh, collectively, because there is a huge amount of information packed away in there. Um, and there's probably also a bit of uh, reading between the lines and understanding the existing regulatory regime to kind of really understand what um, what is actually being said. Um, and and obviously then the next stage is to think about how these proposals 
really will impact on your business. And I think that's both current business, but also future business, because we are looking at, um, I guess we're looking at uh, these authorization requirements actually taking effect at the earliest, um, the end of 2024. So I think you've got to be thinking about need for authorization on a fairly kind of, um, not just an immediate term basis. Um, there's we're obviously hoping to see that draft legislation um, as soon as possible next year. And so it will be important to get to grips with that because as you said earlier, Jonathan, the devil is really in the detail. And then I think also making sure that you're as involved as possible in discussions that are ongoing. Um, so whether that's with other market participants, whether it's with industry associations or with the regulators who are obviously trying to shape what the, the rules that you'll need to comply with actually look like. Um, I think you know that is a, a really important part of the process. And so I think as many um, interested voices that are involved in that would be helpful in terms of getting this regime working as well as it possibly can. And then um, I guess the the real kind of um, uh, thing is to be getting ready for authorization in due course. Um, authorization is obviously a big process in itself, but being authorized is also um, essentially kind of a whole a whole new way of life, a whole new way of doing business. And so there's a lot to be thought about in that context. Um, and in terms of kind of how we can help with all of that, um, we where the, the Norton Rose Fulbright team is available for um, discussing any of those issues. But in particular, we have a, a new online tool called Crypto Navigator, which has a number of resources that can help with some of these areas. Yeah, thanks, Hannah. And, and one sort of parting message, perhaps to, to, to back that up, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't wait, let's put it like that. And one of the things that would be in the back of everybody's mind is, you know, will this happen if there's a change of government next year, et cetera? Et cetera. I, I think it's pretty clear that this is very much the political consensus. These proposals, I don't think there's any suggestion that uh, whichever party comes to power next year uh, will change substantively. If anything, I think it would move in a slightly more draconian direction rather than what we have now. So I think the idea that one can just sort of sit and wait and ignore this, I think that's entirely wrong if one wants to have access to the UK market. So on that theme, thank you very much everyone for listening. We will be following up with uh, a number of other podcasts, no doubt, on this uh, due course so and other events. So uh, thank you very much, everybody. And that's the end of our podcast. Thank you.